Yo, what up, what up, what up? This is the Lazy Philosophers Podcast, and today I got with us Maxime Jante. How you doing? What's going on, man? Yeah, chilling, man. Max is one of my favorite people ever. I'm dead serious. Uh, not, okay. If there's like a list of like 100 people I, I both respect, like talking to and enjoy their comedy, he's pretty close to like, you're like 26, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate it. Top 30. That's yeah, top, like, 30. <laughs> top 30. <laughs> <laughs> but Max, you speak how many languages, man? Uh, officially, it's three. Officially, it's three languages, but uh, if you dive into dialects and things like that, of what I can understand, I think it's probably nine. Nine? Um, I don't count Spanish yet, because um, I haven't unlocked it fully, but I think like six months in Puerto Rico or Mexico or any place that speaks Spanish, I'll, per- be, I'll have perfect Spanish. No yeah, problem. and you speak what? You speak French? I speak French, I speak Creole, I speak English. Yeah, um, some yeah. German? Uh, a little bit, but... Uh, Do you understand German? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, like when, because uh, German and English share a common ancestor, so I, I can kind of pick up on certain words and kind of piece it together, but. I haven't unlocked German, but eh, it's not a problem. And, and you, you studied linguist, or you wanted to be a linguist, right? I wanted to be a linguist. Uh, I wanted to be a linguist after my uh, after I graduated college. Um, I wanted to get my master's in applied linguistics, and then hopefully go to MIT for my um, doctorate in applied linguistics. But that. I fell into comedy, you know, it was beautiful. And, and you know what? It's better for the world, bro. Because <laughs> what, what you'd be helping robots do, that's what you'd be doing. At MIT, linguists, you'd be helping robots decode our language and kill us. Yeah, you know what? I don't like humans that much. Nah. <laughs> Omnicide is the cure to your problems. Oh, uh, man. No, nah, one of the things that I, uh, like, I've been thinking about a lot lately with comedy in relation to language and I've been really focusing on is... English has only been around liberally for about a thousand years, right? Yeah, uh, and in one form or another. Yeah, and um, that means English is like a made-up language, right? All languages are made up, All right? languages are made up, yeah. in a sense. Uh... And so what has been a form of communication and part of being a human being way longer than language is tonal. Your tone. Yeah. That's why your tone communicates almost more than the words that you say. Absolutely. And um, really modulating that and the effect that it can have on people. And so I've been like looking at situations like whenever I'm doing well, like talking to girls or whatever, I'm out like like you know um, on stage, and I'm like, oh, like let me like adjust my tone, like let me sound more funny, like you know, like you, this doesn't sound funny. No. That doesn't sound funny at all. I could say funny stuff right now, right? Like, but hey, my mom's from Malaysia. If you don't know where that is, don't feel bad. The airline doesn't either. Like that, no. But that joke actually works. Yeah, it does. A lot. But like the thing is, if I, you say it in a very commanding way, it just, it doesn't, I don't know. It, it, um, the thing about tone is, um, it, the, there's certain languages, there's very nuance on their tones. Um, for example, like, uh, Sarcasm, like uh, first come to the United States, I uh, did not understand the point of sarcasm. Could not understand. Now I can't live without it. You know, it's just the tone somebody says, "Yeah, we're going to school tomorrow. I'm excited." You know, versus "Yeah, I'm going to school tomorrow. I'm excited." You know, it's just it's two different two different meanings, man. I, I, oh. But other than that, you're right on the tonal part. But uh, but to a certain point, the tone stopped being. They, they stop communicating effectively. Now you need words to make that happen. And you can't be like, 
When you have like a radio, a stapler, and a fucking Febreze bottle, you yeah. you have to be able to say Febreze. You know, you can't just point and grunt. Well, the thing is, is you can't even think of stuff that you don't even have words for. Like, or, or it's very difficult to, um, especially in our modern society. Like, um, they say there's a huge, um, there's a there's a lot of linguistic theory, and I'm sure you're familiar that like certain civilizations were more prone to war just because they had more words for that kind of thing. And so there's like more of their reality is focused on conflict rather than agreeableness. And um, even even like with your own emotional problems, right? Like I tell people like you want to start with like working things out internally, like get a thesaurus so you can start learning more words so you can more precisely label what's bothering you. Oh, that that actually there's something on there. There's something I saw online. Uh, I think on YouTube it was like uh, it was some weird thing like uh What's it called? Uh, the uh, shit. What's it called again? Uh, something about the sorrows, like obscure sorrows or some shit like that. And there were words on there that were just like, I felt them, but I didn't know how to describe them mm. in a way. So it was like um, how, how everybody you meet is leaving is living a fully fully developed life. But mm-hmm. you just meet them for like one second. You yep. know, you see them pass away in a cab. That when I saw that, I'm like, oh, I've been having that feeling my entire life. I had no words for it. Yeah, it, there's an Indian term for it. I actually don't know the word. It's it's a it's a realization that everybody you interact with life is as as complex as your own. Oh, I, and, that's it's so beautiful. Uh, it's some it's scary. It's scary. It's like it just makes you feel small but in a way big at the same time it's, it's weird. It's it's amazing. And then there was a, a school of life video that uh, came out that white Germans um, Germany, Germans have such great, Germans have so many different words to describe advanced emotional states, and it could lead to overall better happiness. I don't know, German, German listeners, uh, please, uh, chime in if you got, do you feel emotionally healthy? Uh, <laughs> the Germans, they have a word, uh, they have a word that translates to hatred passed from generations, mm. and it's, uh, it's the word that, um, they were in a conflict with France for a hundred years, over a hundred years, and from that, that word was born. Mm. Conflict, uh, hatred passed from generation. I don't know what the word is. I can't think about it right now. But it's they have a, their compound word is ridiculous. Oh yeah, that's exactly what he's talking about. A compound, the compound game. But really, when when you think about like my dad when he bought me the book, uh, Thirty Days to More Powerful Vocabulary. Um, and he said, you need to learn these words. I was like, dad, I don't care about looking smart, which was a lie guys. That's all I care about. This is all vanity. I want you guys to think I'm very smart. (laughs) But, um, he, he, he said that, um, that it not only changes people's perception of you, that's a byproduct of something deeper. He's like, when you're able to think precisely, like there are jobs you can't have because you don't know enough words. There's problems you can't see. Because you don't know enough words. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is that we, what we pay a surgeon $10 million for a brain surgeon, as opposed to like some general doctor, is his ability to perceive problems. It's his ability to label problems. It's his ability to think precisely. And I think when you have more words, you're able to think more precisely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this comes to a part like uh, when, you start, when you grow up with one language and you move to another country and you have three different vocabulary systems in your head, um, Whenever I, I start feeling something, whenever I'm in like a deep emotional state, I start feeling things in my native tongue, which is Creole. And like, so it, it doesn't come across uh, to Americans that I'm in a very, very, very like vulnerable state because they don't understand what I'm going through. And I'm trying to translate my feelings, which is in Creole, to English. Uh, it's, it, it gets very, very, very com- uh, complicated. And, and sometimes I can't even tell people what I'm feeling. It's just mm. that... 
you know, you revert to your original state, like your native tongue. It's crazy. I feel in Creole, but I'm speaking in English and thinking English. It's, it's a, you know, it's like two different systems sometimes. But I can effectively communicate in all three languages pretty well. So um, that I actually just talked about this on the podcast uh, that I recorded um, on Friday, uh, which was about. Um, meditation and truth you guys should uh, check that one out but like we were talking about how you can't like you have a different identity based on uh oh i have a friend of mine who can't say i love you in english he's vietnamese he can't say i love you in english he just can't mean it wow because it's it's that like it it just feels so arcane and sterile and there's actually studies that go and show that you are more logical in your second language because it's most of that is in the neo front cortex yeah um and so you the way you're relating to things is in a very uh very cerebral fashion rather than your first language it, it's part of your mammalian brain that's mm-hmm. your natural way of relating absolutely I, I firmly believe that like there's certain things especially cursing uh, especially cursing um can uh in, in creole they don't really translate well into english they just don't and in certain dialects of English, you can't even translate what the, what the, uh, what the curse word is into standard English. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Like just something that's like maybe not even that far away from English, and it just language gets messed up. But one of the things that I'm, I I want to learn French. Uh, that, that's uh, if there was another language I was going to learn, it would be French. Mainly because I think um, number one, I like. Uh, I like French thinkers more than any other thinkers in the world, like just in terms of philosophy. You, you and I are both fans of Camus. Yeah. Um, and I also want to know a French me, right? I, I, I want to, I want to interact with that person because I know I would change in a sense, right? And in what way would I change and develop? And also, I love French women, right? And I want to basically, I think, if you don't know someone, you can explain why you love somebody in, in in your second language but you can't express it that, that, that's what i'm getting at yeah. for you and i want to be able to connect with somebody on that level oh uh, so the thing about the french and where you're expressing love in french um uh, my favorite way to say you like you appreciate somebody in french uh you can say je t'aime which means i love you but but the best thing they say in french is je t'adore which means i adore you mm. which is like so much to me at least it's so much more powerful than je t'aime it's like je t'adore i adore you like you're putting that person like on a pedestal as it were exactly. you know and just like je t'adore it's like wow i adore you and i think that's very powerful as opposed to english like cuz when you tell somebody i love you in english you always follow it with something i love you more than this i love you just like this, or I love you as this, you know? Yeah. But in French, you say, je t'adore. It, you don't need to say anything. Yeah, it doesn't need to be in relation to something. Yeah, because you, you need that relationship in, in English to, to, to convey what your love means, yeah. not in French. Well, like, I, I think that's very interesting. I was working on a joke um, a few, about maybe eight months back, and I, I ditched it, but I definitely want to come back to it. It's like, it's crazy to me the same word I use to describe how I feel about a uh, my wife is the same word I'm going to use to how to describe how I feel about Chipotle burrito. <laughs> love, <laughs> love, you know, and it's that what I'm trying to promote is that I, you, do you really think that maybe sometimes we have all these problems in relationships just because we don't have an adequate vocabulary to talk about relationships? Yeah, um, yeah, and that's the problem with relationship. It's adequate vocabulary because people have conflicts in relationships 
the, the main thing is communicating. Like they can't get their ideas across or the, it's coming across as a different way. So, so that the main part about relationship is problem communicating and you know, language is, is, the, is a main barrier in that, in that sense. What I really liked about what you just said is this, is that it made me think of um, how I think it was, um, I want to say the thinker, oh, fuck, who was it? It wasn't, not, it, it doesn't matter. It'll come to me later on. I, I don't want to say Bertrand Russell. Um, he did, I don't think he did much with language. No. But uh, he, basically this philosopher stated that uh, the reason why many people get in arguments or have misunderstandings is because actually um, conversations are games or social games that we're playing. And that people are, when I am like, like right now we're playing the podcasting game, right? Yeah. This is a high fidelity conversation. We are going to be talking in a probably kind of controlled manner and kind of vaguely aware that this could be used against us in the future or help us in the future. Yeah. All right. So we're playing this game. Before that, we're playing the, ah, relating about comedy game, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Like, you know, now that's fine. If you always know the game that you're playing, but let's say, um, the example they used in the video I was watching was, uh, let's say you have, you're having a relationship with somebody, right? And she's like, we never spend enough time together. And you're saying, well, we hung out two nights ago. She's playing the I don't feel appreciated enough game while you're playing the factual game, which causes the conflict. Because even though both of you are saying true things, you're trying to use the pieces of language in a way that's incompatible with the frame. Absolutely. Well, that's... And it, it's, when you start looking at it like, what game am I playing? What's, and, and in pickup, in game, it's a lot of times we call it whose frame are you in? There's a lot of like frame dynamics. Part of the problem with hecklers in stand-up is they take the frame. If, they, if, they're, if they're, like, um, you saw that girl that was a heckler on Friday. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't acknowledge her because then she's setting the frame. I'm reacting to her. Um, but, like, you always have to dictate the frame of reality. I think Quaslo dealt with it best when he's like, I didn't write this. I didn't have a part of you written in this joke. I thought and then was, it just yeah, died because she, you weren't giving her attention. And I think what, that's really important, though, is, like, when people, you look at, like, what is my objective in this? How am I trying to relate with this person? What is the goal of this conversation? I talked about this in another podcast with my uh, friend Eric about storytelling. He says he goes in conversations looking at what's my goal in the conversation, which might sound very like economist-like, but really it keeps you from – if you're just trying to relate with somebody, you don't focus on winning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, I sell cars during the day. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of my conversation with my customers is what's – what are they trying to get out of this? I got to figure out whether they are serious or whether they're not serious. And uh, that's the very crazy game that I play. Um, to, at a point, I just realized, like, uh, honesty, like, com- blatant, blatant honesty, blunt, almost rudeness is the best way for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because if I try to relate to them, then I'm spending a lot of time. Time is money. Now, I don't get the next person that comes up. So it's yep. always a... a Okay, what is it that you want? Okay, what it is that you're trying to do? And then try to relate to them. Like try to put myself in their place, but also be in the seat of where I'm at to realize, okay, how can I provide them this service that they're trying to do? Exactly. If I can. Or what can I do to get them to that road? So it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Well, one of the things I had a... I was thinking about earlier is how whenever you're saying something, I like how you talk about brutal honesty, right? And I, I, I mean, I'm very, uh, a lot of people don't like me partially because I am very honest. Uh, that actually, that's one thing I realized about you early on. And I'm like, I, I can dig that. Like, um, 
Uh, I've actually told some of my customers, um, you can never be too honest with me. Yeah. Your time is precious. Mm. My time is precious. Exactly. Um, if I realize you, if you're being really honest with me, I can be really honest with you and this thing can go. And for the most part, for the most part, I'd say 80% of the time. After that part, it's just a pleasant, like, dude, this is why I can't do this. This is why we need to do this. And it's mm. just like a very... Um, pleasant situation where everybody is not happy but not sad but they're re- we're at a situation where like fuck this is our this is our reality right now and we got to deal with it th- th- there's relief there yeah um one of the things uh so a quote uh i forget from who but it's a true thing poorly expressed is a lie and i think that's very a profound statement in terms of artistry and life but i also think when we speak with filters so you so you and i reason why we engage on a very close level is we are exist in a realm of comedy i can say basically whatever i'm th- really almost whatever i'm thinking at any moment to you and that allows for us to relate there's no filters on my language but let's say in like law school or let's say in a very rigid work environment i have to filter through oh am i talking to a superior filter oh yeah, yeah and you're filtering the truth so you're actually filtering the intention of what you're trying to say a lot of guys if they really want to grow right and they don't want to risk losing her they have to filter everything they want to say through this massive thing and through that experience what you say becomes a lie it loses its intent right and it's not i'm not i'm not on one of these like uh always be honest thing dude lying is dope use that shit oh yeah uh yeah. i uh one of the comics on the scene told texas told a, a joke about lying um clark yeah yeah yeah, yeah um that's very powerful yeah that's a very powerful joke oh i haven't heard his joke but when he was on the podcast um i, I had to put our episode on lock because uh, i it we said some like stuff on there and I'm going to be applying for the bar exam and it'll, it'll probably come back up later on. But, um, we, one of the things he wrote on there or he said was that he lies a lot. Like he lies all the time because he says, why not? You know? And, um, I don't believe in that. I think whenever you lie, my dad says this thing is that when you lie, you're telling yourself that they are more important than you. And I think that is, it's important to see why you're lying. Like, okay. is it is it to keep yourself from a horrible result? Because, like, again, yeah, fucking lie. Like, if, if it's between you dying and shit, lie, dude. Not not this Kantian thing. But if it's between, if you're just doing it to, like, bolster your self-image, then I think then it can become very bad. Well, the, th- the thing about lying is, uh, like, um, even though I'm brutally honest, sometimes I have to lie to... To get my point, to get my point across, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, sometimes I've said, I've omitted part of the truth. Like, yeah, sure, it's it's a used car. Like, you know, like why is there a ding on it? Maybe I hit it the night before. Who knows, you yeah. know? But I'm like, oh, it's a used car. You're gonna find dings on it all the time when I know for sure that that ding wasn't on there before. You know. Mm. So, um, but but at that point is, um, am I gonna let it? Are you gonna let a tiny ding get in the way of what you're trying to accomplish? Uh, yeah, I'll take a little lie. Well, so this is um, when I was doing my my TED talk. I had to uh, one of the things. Uh, um, Amy, the woman who uh, organized it, was told me was uh, don't um, uh, don't let the truth get away of an amazing speech. That's and and um, there were. Uh, I ended up not having to use any um, because she was, there was a story where I talked about me bombing in front of Hannibal. Yeah, and she wanted me to make it so that I would say that I watched Hannibal walk out while during my set, but I didn't want to do. It. I was like, dude, the stories are. I, I, Tristan told me the thing and everything like that, but I thought that was a very good point because us as stand-up comedians, 
we need to be able to lie. Yeah. Like the thing is a lot we if you don't know this a lot of the things stand up comedians say are probably 100% false and probably not even our actual opinion. Like the being a comedian I exaggerate to show things, but that's not who I am. That's a character. Yeah, absolutely. Um uh one of the one of the jokes I talk about that I do that's always uh that you have to embellish thing is my Vegas joke, you know? I go to Vegas and all that stuff, but a lot of that joke, a lot of the elements into that joke did not happen in that, in that sense, but I'm not going to let the truth get in the way of, of telling, me, telling a great joke. That's, uh, you know, I'm not going to do that. And it's a great story to, t- to talk about, too, as well. Um, but, I mean, what's the biggest lie you ever told? Oh, the biggest lie I ever told? The biggest lie you've ever told. Oh, dude, this was definitely, uh, it, was in, it was in seventh grade. I lied... Um, and said that my brother got shot um, to a teacher. Um, I didn't have a brother. <laughs> um, and she ended up telling my mom had a parent teacher conference with her. I was it was it was a big parent teacher conference thing, and uh, she uh, eventually like brought it up like, oh, uh, well, uh, and she brought it up because she knew I was lying to my mom and. Um, my mom was like, "What the hell?" And there was there was other things in there. I don't want to derail the conversation, but that was that was one. Of, and I also, yeah, I, I but like whenever I was in college at first, I lied a lot because um I I became very popular very quick in in high school um through through dating somebody and then through like uh, just like changing of association and my school was small, but I wanted to make it so that I had always sounded like I was cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know? And um so I would just come up with these fantastic otherworldly lies. And I, you know, and then um in college I had a, a spiritual experience that showed me that everybody knows you're lying, bro. Like <laughs> hey, every, everybody knows and you're already the dude you're lying about being. Like you're already you're, cool. You know, you don't need to and that made me super real. Like you know, like mm-hmm. um yeah, and it made me put a real premium on honesty. Okay. Yeah, that's that, that's actually pretty awesome, man. Like you had an ex- like, uh, I used to lie. I used to lie uh, a lot, a lot. Like, I still do because of my job. <laughs> I, I'm a salesman. Yeah. Um, I'm a salesman, so I have to be able to spend some yarn. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I realize about uh, being a salesman is um, a lot of people don't take me at my word, even when I'm telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would find that very annoying. I find that very powerful because, essentially, I can lie to somebody by telling them the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's, like we were saying earlier, tonal. It's like, yeah. It's like, oh, why is there a ding on there? Eh, I just wrecked the scar earlier. Ah! And, like, ah, yeah, yeah. and then it's just, it's, it's one of those things that it's like, oh, wow. Or when my mom calls, um, it's like, uh, uh, son, are you, are, you, uh, are, you, are you going out drinking? I'm drinking and driving right now, mom. Like, ah. yeah, and, then, and then she realized, oh, he's just, he's just bullshitting, you know. So I, I like the fact that after becoming a salesman, after you know, doing years of, of that, that you know sometimes you tell somebody the truth they don't believe it and you're like it's so liberating because you can say whatever you want because because most of the time you already know what the the other person's narrative is as far Mm -hmm. as um uh, what language they're using trying to figure out what they want and you just can say whatever you want it's it's pretty amazing i I love how you use narrative because i was thinking about that as well it's like part of the narrative of who you are and anytime there's like really social consequences of saying something i've been really recently like um realizing this is like really Here's the thing is like, I don't, you can only let, if someone is like, hey man, you should feel bad about saying that. And you're just like, no, no, no. <laughs> you control the frame. 
You control the frame by not taking somebody else seriously. That's the real power. Like, if you want outrage below not to, if someone's just like oh well your, your your last joke about um this made me feel offended i'm like i don't care yeah. and, and you and you, there's a release there because if you try to combat them if you argue with somebody you're engaging them in a game and they've set the frame they have set the moral imperative uh i it took me a while to learn that actually it took yeah. me a while to learn that that um because i was uh, i was in the i was in the mindset of like I'm gonna engage this and I'm gonna win this. Uh, like, and I realized, what the fuck? Like, why? Like, don't acknowledge it. Like, yeah. hecklers, for example, is one of those things. Like, uh, uh, somebody who comes after you after that your joke. Like, I'd much rather hear uh, your joke would have worked if you did this and that and that rather than your joke. Uh, it was horrible. Like, fuck. Yeah. Like, oh. Well, even like this is like uh, Americans. We speak in such hyperbole that we uh, basically uh, divorce ourselves from being able to really interact with each other in a way that's meaningful oh absolutely uh carlin george carlin says a lot of stuff about uh american and euphemisms the use of euphemism in the, in the english language it's ridiculous like uh like i can't remember what it's like uh the socially disadvantaged when you mean poor you know yeah uh minorities when you mean niggas <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and mac jante is a, is a black man so oh yeah 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 if you guys didn't know that oh. yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you people frame it like that, and it's just because, it, um, like, uh, where I'm from uh, in Haiti, in Haiti, there is no, there's no real euphemism for somebody who's gay. We just call them gay. Uh, yeah. Um, there's cert- there's other words you can use. You can use uh, my CC, which means just gay. That's a gay man. Um, you can use my me, which is also another term for gay man, but that's like a very effeminate gay man. Mm. You know what I mean, but there's no. Uh, alternative lifestyle. There's no LGBTQ. It's just that that person is what they are, and yeah. and it's it, there's no use of euphemism, which is something I struggle with when my first my like to this day I struggle with it sometimes, like being able to say something and and not seem like I'm being offensive, mm. you know. Um, so because like cause, you know you can't you can't drop the word faggot. You can't just do that in a lot of situations and people will just be at, up in arms about it. And with good cause, I'm not trying to minimize anything, you know? Oh, like, dude, here's the thing is it's just weird how, um, like, if I had told everybody, yeah, by the way, Max is gay, it makes it okay. <laughs> right? Like, it, that, that's a very strange thing, even with the thing like the Edward, right? It's like, makes it like, it's funny how like, oh, I want to do a bit and I don't think it'll work where I get on stage and guys, I'm black, right? And I get up and say, what's up? You know, and use the N-word. Uh, and I'm, don't worry, I'm black or half black. And they'll be like, oh, okay, there's relief there. But what if I was only one-fourth black? What if I was only one-eighth black? When, what if I was one-sixteenth black? When, does it, when am I so little black that it no, then it's not okay to say that, the word? Why don't you highlight a big, you got a big problem here because uh, like, we're all like 27th cousin in the world. Yeah. So that, that thing as a pure race, that, you know, like in that, in that setting, like shit like if you're telling a joke and you have to use that word shit i hate to say it but like use it use it like yeah. uh you know just don't waste it like you know here, here's the thing is, is i think um so my i'm the pro not just i'm like so i am taking the opposite of approach of like uh oprah and um anybody else basically of who's i love oprah but this is where we disagree is that i think the n-word should be used on everybody that way it has no power 
that like if you if you restrict this word and just say it can only be used for that then you're forever just pulling out a huge trump card for racist oh there's the sacred word that i can use to make you feel certain type yeah of yeah yeah it's, it becomes it becomes rare and becomes a precious commodity exactly and people know i know where i can get your yeah. feelings they can buy your feelings exactly. with the nigger card yeah oh shit that's fucking yeah well, yeah dude no 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 that's yeah. why I, I just don't want to say anything like yeah. that it, 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 like the thing and i probably said it on the podcast i'm just uh, worried yeah yeah but like um is that with that is if you just use it on everybody like i've used it on a white guy and he got offended oh uh my friend ben smith if he's ever listening to this um i call him my nigga ben smith he, yeah. he's a white dude from indiana um but me and him during college we got really close and i like one day i'm like Ben, I wanted you to know that this is what you are, man. Because yeah. right? you you move to the Virgin Islands, uh, you date black women, you hang out with nothing but black dudes. And the thing is, he was just being himself. Like, yeah. he would go out and swim with dolphins. And I just, one day I was like, dude, you, like, come in, sit down. Like, we, 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 we cool like that. You yeah. Know? And, um, yeah, use it on people. Like, use it on people the way you want to use it on people. Exactly. You know? it, the language is yours. It's, it's the tool that's yours. I used it when I... I used it on everybody as well, but, like, I used it in an offensive capacity. I dropped the ER. Oh, I dropped offensively. The e- wow, I've yeah, never done that yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. And the guy was like... <laughs> What? Like, it, it was like it was like I used the judo move that he could. He was like, Ray, can you can you can you do that?" And 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 he got offended. He got literally offended. And that's because why? It's not a nice sounding word. It, it's it, it's the with the er at the end. It just doesn't sound nice. No. Oh my god! That's yeah. Funny. I even had a joke that I didn't end up getting to do, and another comedian did it. Uh, I forget his name. Oh, Tim Barnes. He did it um, on Trump's inauguration day. But the joke was that Trump is our first. N word with the ER president, <laughs> and because he is, he's ignorant. Yeah, he's, he's super ignorant. ignorant. And and the thing is, is by like shielding it off and not using it. Like the where I learned this was with the C word um, when I was hanging out in the UK. When I was hanging out with Australians, and the girls don't get offended at all because everyone just throws it around. Yeah, see, that's the thing. When I lived in on St. Thomas, um, you would you call somebody a mother scut. Mm-hmm. Which, which, if you break it down, it's mother's cunt. It's like I would say, "What's going on, you mother scunt? Mm. Fuck you, you mother scunt." You would say yeah. stuff like that, and I, and I came to back to the United States. It took me a couple of months to re- to stop saying mother scunt. Like yeah. it was, but it rolls off the tongue. Dude, like that's that's a tight sounding thing. You yeah. know, mother scunt. Oh yeah. man, like I, I lost my accent. My friends, they it just rolls off the tongue. It's like yeah, mother scunt. Oh, uh, and, and like the thing is, it's fun. Like yeah. you know, like. I, I think also offensive, talking about off, off, offense culture where, oh, I'm offended, is actually people trying to feel superior. Because what, what you're implicitly saying is I have a refined palate, right? And saying like, oh, so this offends me. Like, what, what, what do we find offensive? We say higher cultured people find more things offensive. That's generally the, the implicit assumption, right? Wine connoisseurs find bad wine offensive, where regular people just drink it, no problem. Yeah. You know? And so whenever you're saying you're getting offended by all these other things, what you're really saying is, like, I'm, so, I'm so superior. I'm so superior to all of you. I'm and better than this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, uh, the only things that are truly offensive are gore and violence, um, sex crimes, um, and, like watching them. And then... Um, Beyond that, and a really bad smell, like sorority girl puke, like that. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. It, no, no one, no one needs that. That <laughs> the smell of puke and feces. That's those are offensive. That's, that's, that, that's like that's that's, yeah. a, oh, that's repulsive. Yeah, like, your your body knows that. Like yeah, that's why you got that. Um, one thing I was gonna say is a uh, uh, PC mm-hmm. culture, offense culture. Um, 
I think they use that uh, being offended uh, by certain words. Uh, I think they use it just to mask uh, um, prejudice and racism in a sense. Like they're like, I'm not saying the N word with the R, a hard ER, but I'm still gonna treat you like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still gonna clinch my purse if I see you on the street. Like, yep. like they might they might not be saying it, but they act like it. You know, yep. and. Um, and that's what I realize about PC culture. It's like people are like, I'm offended by that. I would never say that. But in a sense, like their day-to-day lives, they don't come across people from other cultures. They're hanging out with people like them, yep. you know? And then that, that, that's, what, that's what I realize, you know? That's, what, that's one of my observations. I, I would say, I know, like one of the things I said is, if, a, if uh, I, I did a bit, I never did it again, but whenever a, a, a white comic is super PC, with me and politically correct and stuff like that it just shows me that they don't have any minority friends like the more pc you are the less likely you are to have minority friends yeah it feels like they're holding back it feels like they're holding back something and it's not genuine you're not connecting exactly um um, yeah uh that's i feel like i feel that way too to a lot of people to a lot of people yeah and not just white comment just anybody like i don't i don't mean to like uh it's it just it just uh, we've talked about this many times. There are many white comics on the scene who kind of just don't acknowledge us. Yeah. Like, and then the, the thing is, they'll get up there and say the most cop shooting black people is so wrong, man. And like you know, we gotta all love each other. And it's just like, and then you treat me like that word, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but my friend Josh, who's been on this podcast, who has a great YouTube channel called This Is Josh O. He um he he and I went out with some of our uh, some of my European friends from school, and he's like, dude, it's crazy, man. And there was like. They're talking to me like I'm a person. And you don't, like, that's the thing is when you, you don't realize someone's not speaking to you like you're a person until you start engaging with people who are treating you like a person. Oh, absolutely, yeah. man. Uh, that, that happened to me on, um, on Tinder when I was on Tinder a lot. Um, and I would meet these girls, you know, and um, I would talk to them, you know, and we'd have a conversation and I would meet them. And then I, as soon as I realized they weren't treating me like a person, I was... Uh, in a be- lack of a better word, a fetish to them, you know, like mm-hmm. they probably have never been with a black person. They were being very super PC, and I was just like, uh, that yeah. super PCness. Yeah, it also it like messes with my ability to connect with you. It's like it's like I need you to be able to offend me. Like, like if I'm your friend, you, my friends say the meanest shit to me because they love me. Yeah. Like I, I had my roast a year ago to this day, actually, I think, and I felt nothing but strong love. Like, 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 really, like, love. It was actually weird, though. It felt like strong love until people who didn't know me started getting up and roasting me. Yeah. Then it felt weird because it didn't have context. Yeah, because um, people who know you know exactly the language that you would be using. And mm. the people who don't know you just go up there to try. They're, they're trying to get mean, very mean, mm. very. Like, when your friends, they, when they're trying to get mean, they connect. They, they, they know what sequence to put the words in exactly. to resonate with you. Uh, mm. Like, uh, my friend, um. My friend Patrick back in Indiana, like he's one of those people that I I want him to offend me, you know. Mm-hmm. I want him to offend me all the time. Like, yep. like uh, I sometimes I send him my my um, my sets. I was like, hey, what'd you think of that? Because I I respect him. I like this. Like, man, that was pure bullshit. Here's why <laughs> yeah. you should put this in. you you're like, and I'm like, I appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. But if it was like some stranger who came up after my show and was like, ah, that set was pure bullshit. Like, just tell me. Hey, where I can get better, and then maybe we can build a relationship, and then maybe you can come up to me and say that was pure pure shit. This is why it didn't work. Exactly. Like, you know, it's weird whenever someone tries to make fun of you before the context is there. Yeah. Um, me, um, the me, one of the meanest people I know, and is a person I I personally like love a lot. Nick Ogle, man. You know, he's the he's. 
I mean, he knows exactly which bones to break to make you ugly. Like, you know, but he's so good at it. Him and Skylar Hinkley, we, we all go ham. And um, I, 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 that's what I've loved about, like, relationships with girls who have been around other ethnicities and stuff. Like, for, they're, not, they're not all measured. It's not like I'm talking to a politician, you know? Like, it, your ability to be racist around me and say racist. I don't think saying racist stuff makes you a racist. No, I don't think, I don't think it, in that context it doesn't make you a racist. I think, like... Um, you're feeling comfortable with me to let go some of barriers and mm-hmm. and you're actually opening up to like vulnerability, vulnerability like because i at some point i'm trying to like hey this might be borderline racist you know yeah. what you mean what you, maybe you're trying to say this and and like you know take it as it is um but you know i know a lot of racist people never call me the n-word that's mm. that's that's you know that's just oh um, like that, my bit about people were secretly racist, you know, like that's that's one thing that I realized, you know, people friendly to your face and then behind your back like, oh, that's just I assume everyone talks shit about me. Uh, I, 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 I just assume everybody does because why not? I mean, I'm not talking about talking shit. Like I'm talking about racism, like really despise you. Oh, you know? OK. Yeah. Like talking shit. That's that's everywhere. Like, yeah. People talk shit like, oh, well, like, but. Certain things, you know. Oh. Yeah, and there are people I also assume despised. I assume the worst in people, but that way I can move with kind of this confidence. People are like a lot of times like, "Will, how do you like?" You know, I, I, I'm very socially dominating, and like you know, I, I live very intensely, which incurs hate. Um, people are like, how do you how do you do that? Like, how do you go in and do? It? I'm like, oh, I just assume people don't like me. Um, and that's the opposite of what a lot of PC like a lot of like self help things like assume everybody likes you. I'm like, no, I assume everyone doesn't like me. That way, I'm not worried about what they're saying. And the people who really like you really are gonna gravitate towards you. Like, exactly. I like that guy for like fuck it. Like, um, like I was like that for a while. Um, I didn't like the Max Jante you know right now. Did not exist like in 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. That, that's like a, a thing from 2011. And up, like I wasn't living my life the way I, I wasn't taking chances. I was not being super confident in what it is that I'm doing. Yeah. And um, the way I did it was I just changed my frame of, of thinking, changed the way I talk. Like instead of saying, I hope, I started saying, I think I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. And then just mm-hmm. uh, it all comes down to what I would tell myself in my head. And I was just like, you know, I remember I know 2010, 2009, I was like, I think I'm moving to the Virgin Islands, guys. I'm moving to the Virgin Islands, guys. Mm. Hey, guys, I'm on my way to the airport. Yeah. I'm in the Virgin Islands right now. And it was just like a, a thing I started living intensely. And the, my language changed completely mm. overnight. Like, it was just like, instead of I hope, it was like, I'm going to. It's mm. like, I, I'm planning on. Exactly. You know, and, and at this point in my life, there's a lot of parts in my life that I, are not in in order yet and there's never going to be a complete 100% balance but the way I'm talking about it like, I was like I'm going to do this yeah and and like when you start living intensely people there's a lot of hate like my la- uh, my my years living in the Virgin Islands too um, I had a lot of hate yeah but I had a lot of love at the same time there's some people who were really like to this day they have like great bonds with me like the dudes will call me at three four five o'clock in the morning hey what's going on uncle max dudes mm. will call me uncle max because it's just like we and i call him uncle you know that's mm. the, that's the way it goes man you know and and it's the language we use around each other like you said they roast me all the time um i had this bad foot fungus and these guys did not let up on it to the point where they took a picture Put it on Instagram. Ha! 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 
Oh, that's savage. That was savage. But you know, after they did that, I was like, oh man, I better get, I better start putting fucking Lotrimin and something like that. And and these guys could do it. They could do it. I mean, I wasn't mad at the picture. I was mad at the other people commenting on the picture because they didn't, they didn't know me like yeah, these guys knew me. Exactly. And they, um, but you know, it was all out of love. It was just certain like you know and those guys right now they're fucking doing amazing things and we're every time we talk it's always like an hour-long conversation about nothing just mm-hmm. and and that's why that's what i like about like you you live intensely you know and, and you do form those into i'm so close to the people i'm close with i'm close with you I'm cl- and, and like it happens rapidly but one of the things I, I really liked what you said is like you start speaking more intentional even in your own mind i'm going to do this i'm doing it um, I think that that uh, removes the cop out. Even saying "I think," it's implicit that you think this, yeah. right? Just get rid of that word. It's like it's like a word to to mitigate uh, how it's going to be received. Mm-hmm. Just say it, you know. And um, the, another thing you said was about connecting with people and talking about absolutely nothing. So I've said this that I have been on dates with girls and I have pulled out stories from my life. I have talked about. Oh, where I went to college, blah, 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 their hopes and dreams, and didn't care about a thing. I'm just, like, basically off a script, all right? And um, I didn't feel like really connecting with them. But it's weird. When I just talk about stuff, when I I talk about nothing with them, not about them, but nothing, and then stuff comes into the conversation because we're talking about nothing. We're not – the focus isn't connecting. We connect, right? Like, if I'm just like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, you know, uh, I've been thinking a lot about this joke. I bit my dates. I'm awful. But, like, <laughs> I, I, I do that. It's what I think about a lot. Why not? Why are strangers for if not to bit them? Ex- yes! I bit my customers. Oh, yeah. I bit my coworkers. Um, for a while, my coworkers didn't know I was, I was doing comedy. Yeah. And then until, like, they found out, like, I'm like I, I let it slip a little bit. And they're like, what? Like, and then like it was just like oh this explains a lot yep cuz but like to this day I, I bit some of them like you know like in a casual conversation cuz i want like that's the way i work it out it's just like i want to see how i should frame this like and what what not why not in a professional setting <laughs> to tell a horrible holocaust joke yeah. <laughs> and see if you can get away with it hey, right <laughs> the, the things you can get away with with humor right is like humor like if you make somebody laugh at the most egregious thing they are basically saying i accept your frame of reality <laughs> yeah. that, that they might not agree with it but they accept it at that moment oh man uh that my dad was talking about i was talking to him today and he was talking about the importance of humor he was in vietnam in marine right and he said he had you need comedians everywhere in life he said we were on our way marching to war right getting ready he's like and the sergeant would stand up and it's like we're all gonna die yeah, <laughs> and then everyone burst out laughing right on the way there and it, it helps you accept like yeah i'm gonna die uh, i mean i like that i like that it it like that story is what it connects with me uh um like because he realized the inevitability and the pointlessness of of suffering of making himself suffer mm-hmm. you know in a way it's kind of like that story uh sisyphus like at mm-hmm. some point he kept pushing the boulder like fuck it i got i gotta do this and might as well enjoy it you know exactly. and i think i like that you know um there's a story like that for me um and and in haiti um i remember uh i remember uh, so this lady came to our, our house and she was talking to my mom and she says yeah i can't believe this they're cutting the people's head off 
shwaka shwaka shwaka. So she's making the motion of cutting somebody's head and she's going shwaka shwaka. Like that, that like that's the noise it makes. And I didn't realize what that was. Me and my brother are laughing about it. Like shwaka shwaka shwaka. For like, <laughs> for like years, me and my brother would look at each other and do that shwaka shwaka shwaka. <laughs> and we'll laugh at it until, until like in 2003, 2004, a video of a, of a, of a Al-Qaeda beheading was on the internet and I watched it and I heard the noise <laughs> and I heard the noise shwaka. I was like oh she was referencing that noise <laughs> oh <laughs> is that a bit oh, it's not but it should be <laughs> oh man yeah oh and he cut the like and then I and then that's when I laughed even harder and I was like you know because I had, I had no, it was the craziest thing you know like Dude, that'd be so funny as a bit if you don't say that she was referencing a beheading at the beginning and you just let that be the surprise. So this woman came in and she was just talking about schlocker, schlocker, schlocker. And like me and my brother would say, yo, man, that joke would be hilarious. Um, <laughs> it was um, it was one of those things and I laughed about it. And, and, you know, in a sense, you know, like it was a futility. There's nothing we could have done. We couldn't feel bad about it. And just like... It was in, it's in the past. I, I was laughing about how ignorant me and my brother was to that noise. Yeah. You know, I'm not laughing at the person getting their head cut off at no situation. I'm laughing about how ignorant we were that we were like, yeah. I realized how futile it was that now I know what it is and there's well, nothing I can do. When my, my TED talk is about something similar to that. It's about um, like the topic of it's someone's going to laugh when you die. <laughs> Which, <laughs> and, and in it, I say that we live like Martin Luther King, like... Gandhi, JFK, got assassinated, right? Yeah. And I've heard jokes about all that. Like, and like, here's the thing: is like, the more important you get as a person, the more likely, the more mathematically certain someone's gonna laugh when you die. Oh, here's the beautiful part about that whole thing. Um, I didn't start getting over my father passing away until I started joking about it. Mm. Uh, it took me years, but I started joking about it. Like, I, I sometimes I make post reference to my. To my dad not knowing like he was being solicited for sex by another man in the 70s because he was at this park and he backed his car in like those myths are true like certain parts you back your car in it means you're either receiving or giving he never told me how he parked his car he just said and then like uh, i can't remember like a couple years after he passed away i was thinking about that story i was reminiscing about my dad and i was like oh my god that's so funny it's so funny it's like and then i started making jokes about it i'm yeah. like i was i was telling my brother like i think my daddy he probably sucked the dick at some <laughs> 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 he was just he's just too proud to admit it and then we started joking about that and it dissipated the whole thing well here's the crazy thing is that's the last point i make on there it's about like um so whenever I bombed in front of Hannibal, I felt miserable because Hannibal was one of my first comedic idols. And he watched my set. I bombed worse than I'd ever bombed, right? And then he watched my set and then walked out. And it really hurt. And I called my mom to get validated, but like it didn't, like nothing helped until I started writing jokes about it the next day. And I was like, oh, this is funny, you know? And like, th and that relieved me. Like, and it's about not ha looking at ourselves so seriously. And in that, it's like, um, Marcel Proust, right, um, French writer, talks about how the happiness, the point of life is to get an artist's point of view in it that it's not about being banally happy or sad or tragic. It's about getting a point of view of life and appreciating it. And artists are able to do that with paintings and things like that. And I think a comedian's able to do that with life. It's just everything in life can be a joke. And in that, you're relieved of so much. That's, that's, border, that's, that's absurdism. Yep. That's... that's 
very borderline absurdism, if not full absurdism. But that's the thing. Um, think about it this way. You've bombed the game in front of people who are not important. Mm-hmm. You've, bu- you've bombed in front of drunken assholes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you should have the honor to bomb in front of Annabelle. Yeah, I mean, just, that, yeah. that's exactly it. That's it. That's it. And, 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 and it's part of our process, right? And I, I was talking about how like bombing is just part of being a comedian. But like, the really, and this goes back to language, is what makes bombing sad is that it's public shame. Right, like people's fear of so people's fear of of public speaking is actually fear of public perception, um, and with stand up, you're viscerally aware of the public's perception of you. You're very aware, but and it, when you're bombing, there's a primordial urge for you to just go away because you feel this like shame. Like I want to say, like shame. Is, is is intense. Like when you feel public shame, it is intense. This is why people died. If they, if, if if you if you brought shame upon you in even even in some parts of the world right now, but anywhere probably until like 1930, 1940, you're dead. Oh yeah, the the Japanese harakiri. Like, oh yeah, where? yeah, yeah. You stab your gut yourself. Oh, like, like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and people either killed themselves out of it, or, or the tribe would murder you. I mean, like. Shame is not something you want to experience, and we're the first culture where you actually need to lean into shame to be successful. Well, I think I think that whole shame thing it, it turned over after uh, um, after uh, all the existential writers. You know, I really do think so because they're just like there's life is pointless. Like why? Like shame and in honor whatever it is it's all in the it's all in your head it's yeah. all in the mind frame because you have to do shameful thing to gain your honor anyway exactly. so like it's 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 like it's a point like um i'm not saying I, I i'm over my fear of bombing don't get me wrong across that but now i'm just like eh, fuck it you know like the probabilities of me being funny are probably not that high in the, to begin with like mm-hmm. you know like especially as being two years into this so so like um if i bomb now i'm just like well I bomb, like yep. you know, and then you go back to the drawing board and analyze why it didn't work or well, what could you do. The bombing doesn't tell you anything about yourself, right? Like I think a lot of times what is really difficult for people to do is compartmentalize the experience. They say like I bomb, but actually just your jokes bomb. Like if you had just got up there and read some other jokes, you would have killed. Like that's basically if it was a different room. Also, sometimes like I tell people this: if you put a Mona Lisa in the back of a bar, right, no one gives a shit. All right, you put it in the middle of the, uh, the Louvre. Louvre and have a line in front of it, all of a sudden it means something. And that is the nature of art. Like, even some girl came up to me, sorry, uh, uh, is a girl came up to me after my TED talk and she's like, Your talk really moved me. And I couldn't help but think, if there were only three people in the audience today and this wasn't a TED talk, would my talk have moved me? <laughs> like, you, you know, because it doesn't have the context. Nah, um, that's, that, that's a beautiful thing you said. Because um, there's a lot of great paintings people have found in, in garbage. Like, people didn't even know they had a Monet. Yeah. And they threw it away and thought, like, or it's a piece of modern art. And they thought yeah. it was trash. Exactly. I think that was a recent story. Somebody had a piece of modern art and the maid, uh, the person who was cleaning it, thought it was trash and threw it away. Oh my right God. Now. Like, I mean, because it's that frame of reference of being like, you know, because if you put like a fucking piece of modern art in fucking in the middle of a fucking steel mill, nobody's going to give a fuck. No, about it. no like, one gives it. No one cares, man. And like yeah. this, is, I always I always say no one's going to flash Justin Bieber if he was just singing in a subway in a pot bellies. Right. Like <laughs> it, it's because of all this context that it's supposed to be important. And here's the thing is like I've removed the word should 
what should I be doing? And I feel immensely free. And it's weird how words allow you to navigate your, your inner psyche too. It's about building a system within yourself. Because you, if you're intelligent, you're having conversations with yourself. Always. Yeah. But it's how you frame those conversations that really matters. And you talked about that whenever you're talking about moving towards more action words and action vocabulary. But here, here's the thing. It's like when you get into... Um, I've completely lost what I was going to say. I completely lost it, man. Yeah. I, I was intense in it. But yeah. I'm like, action action words. Um, action words. Um, like I realized something about action, action words. Like It's like, I'm going out there tonight. I'm telling these jokes. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes something happens in that in that bar or club, whatever it is, and I change my set, you know, because I let the outside influence me. Mm -hmm. And then that fucking, I bump. And then that's the worst thing. Like, you know, like, and I'm not using the action words. Like, like, and the thing is about action words is being able to stick to it. Like, I'm not saying you should not adapt to a situation, but sometimes you just got to stick with it. Like, okay, I... Cause you, cause I, the thing when I'm thinking about it is like I've spent all day thinking about these four jokes I'm gonna tell. Yep. And then like something happens and I decide I'm gonna change it. That's what happened Friday night too. Like some of those jokes I wasn't supposed to be saying. I was thinking about all two jokes that I and then I switched it because I seen that that girl like and I let it, let it control it. And then the thing is. Language is not other people's language can control your frame of thinking. Cause mm. like, cause, cause uh. Because I let what she was saying to everybody get to me when I should have been just weird, like, I'm going to do this, don't acknowledge her. I didn't even acknowledge her, and she was that, that big of a problem to me, at least. Yep. You know, um, they were talking, but, man, I'm, I had the microphone. I was louder, so. Yeah. It, it, I, I love the fact that you're talking about, like, thinking about those jokes or what you're going to do all day really affects the amount of validity it has whenever you speak. You speak with more authority what you've thought about more. Yeah. And, um... I, I like that. I like my sets go way better if I write down what I'm gonna do beforehand and then leave. But here's another thing that's really deep is the nature of writing something, how concrete it gets. Like it becomes almost law. Um, when I ran the Lazy Philosopher, uh, I wrote down at the end list capped X boom boom, and no one would argue that the list was capped. But if I just put 25 and then said someone no sorry the list is capped, they would always be trying to negotiate with me. And that's because it wasn't written down. And we, pay, we have a very profound, we put a very strong emphasis on things that are written down. Well, see, that's what I like about, uh, talking about languages, and that's why, that's why, that's why laws can exist. Like, yeah. um, you, you write it down. Codified, um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's the thing, because like, it takes the power away from the individual mm-hmm. it puts it in a higher realm i'm not saying god or anything like it puts it in a higher realm it's like because constitution of the united states there's people who are put there to make sure this thing that's written does not get violated yep and there should be consequences if it's violated mm-hmm. like uh, it's not it's not somebody who says uh oh, you guys can't do that you know and and that's a perfect example of you like list capped nobody yep. You know, no people don't even try to negotiate with that shit. Um, it will, you, you just actually, we need things to be sacred to have authority over us, right? That, and that's why, uh, it, that you, when, you, when you talked about the Constitution in that way, and it's, it takes power away from the individual and it leads to stability, something that people can trust, that it really, it, it struck me. And one of the things that I've been telling people, and I want to do a joke about this, is that I hate how behavior that is, just because something is accessible to all people, we assume it's not valuable. And what I mean by this is, I can read. That's fucking magic. 
That's magic. Literally, Aristotle lived 3,000 years ago, and I am reading his best thoughts. Not just his thoughts. His mm. best thoughts. That's, that's the beautiful part about humanity. It's like... Um, as, a, as we evolved, or language evolved with us from grunts mm. to signals, and you can read what somebody else was thinking five, six thousand years ago, and then you built on it, you know? Exactly. I think, uh, shit, what's his name? Um, he invented calculus, whatever his name is. Isaac Newton. I almost yeah. say Isaac Wilson. Isaac Newton. Uh, Isaac Wilson's a friend of mine. Isaac, <laughs> <laughs> Isaac Newton said, uh, we stand on the shoulders of giants, yes. you know? I think that's what he said. Yeah. Yeah, but he said that as a diss to some other guy, but... But long story short, like we stand, like we you, like we build upon this language of of like, and if you look at all jokes we're doing, we're built, we're building upon ideas people have, and we're branching in so many different fucking directions from oh, it, yeah. which is like a beautiful thing to me. Like, and that's 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 the thing about when you say about languages and writing and like writing systems, it's just like, wow, people were, like, he can write something. Uh, algebra and then we get it today and it's relevant today mm -hmm. and you can look back and it a thousand years from now it's still going to be relevant because the law, laws of physics don't no fucking they don't change for nobody you know exactly oh it's a beautiful thing it, it's 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 some and what it is is also it's crazy it's symbols mm -hmm. right like um so i was talking to max about this i want to do a, maybe a tweet about this or something like that it's like I was like trying to think about like truth, like the th thought of pursuing truth, but we're using a made up language. And so you can never, you can never have a true, this is kind of the idea and it's just, you can't have a true thought because you're still thinking in English, which is a made up language. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know what the craziest thing about English is? Um, uh, like I, I, I'm, I'm from a very weird thought of people, group of people who hate most grammar, like most of grammar, we hate a lot of shit in grammar. Uh, a lot of shit in punctuation, we hate that too. Uh, but here's my thing, like, um, in 1920, you could not say lit. You can't say the light, was, it, it was lit. Like, uh, talking about a light, not having a party, all right? Mm -hmm. You had to say it was lighted. You had to use lighted. Mm -hmm. And it was considered lowbrow to say lit. Now we say lit. Mm -hmm. And it's considered stupid if you say hey, lighted. Like it's so, it's always changing. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and you're saying we're pursuing truth in a made up language, you know? And like, if, even if we could speak the very first language people were speaking, like the very first, like, but their world was so simple, you know? Like the word was so simple. You had to go get fruit, go get, go kill the, uh, whatever it is, a mammoth and get the meat. And you, you, didn't, you didn't know about the laws of nature. So that's why I think like, we are making up these languages, as it were, made, made up language and building upon them because, because our world is, is becoming more complicated. The more aware we are of the world, the more words we have. Because, like, there's a word for every single fucking thing in this world. Mm -hmm. And if there's no word for it, we're, we're going to invent it, you know. And it, that's, like, uh, that's why, like, maybe the pursuit of truth is something that is unattainable mm -hmm. without tele telepathy, you know. No. You know, like... No. I love how you said telepathy because I think telepathy and I think that's what we're striving to do with technology. Like we're, we're, what we're trying to do with technology is we're trying to bring people there. But I think there's actually something more spellbinding about being lost in a book. And I, I don't mean to sound like a douche. Like I, cause I love movies. Um, I love music, but there's something I think that the closest you can get to real truth is reading, is reading fiction. 
I think a fiction book can express everything about life that needs to be expressed. I don't think you can codify it and make it into to to law because like uh, so there's a they, there's in the in terms of where they talk about masculine energy and feminine energy in uh, some woo woo circles, but I think this is an apt example. Is like they say the masculine is clear, concise, and this doesn't have anything to do with women or men. It has to do with just like how they look at it energetically, clear, concise, straight to the point, but cannot ever be true a hundred percent. It's always by being concise, it misses out and obfuscates. It, it gets out, it misses the truth okay. by trying to be precise. Um, because the truth is ultimately untouchable, right? Then the feminine is like cryptic. It can't um, easily be understood. It's kind of mysterious. But in it, to the right observer, can re- you can actually really get truth from it. Yeah. And it's like how you can watch or read a book like a Tolstoy or Dovdesky or even, even Camus, The Stranger, and learn so much then when you compare it to Camus' book, The Myth of Sisyphus, mm-hmm. right? Where you might not have learned as much, even though he's being clear and concise with the points. Okay. And so um, I think that storytelling gives us access to that truth. See, I, I feel like all you just said, like all you just said, books and things like that, I feel the same way. Uh, this is going to be very nerdy. I feel the same way about Star Trek. Mm. I feel like a lot of my truths come from like those stories because the stories are not really about space and things like it's about like people real human condition and i'm like oh wow like and then like and that's and we can never get to the truth it might be unattainable um mm. especially in a made-up language but mm. with telepathy once we invent that once we get to that i don't think i still don't think we're going to get to the truth because 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 it's you have to be able to be in you have to be to get the truth you have to be able to be everybody at once you know you have to be everybody at once mm. <laughs> Guys, my brain has just poured out on the table. Uh, this has happened one other time in an episode with Nick Gogo about God. Um, this, this, holy wow! It, the oh. I mean, but think about it. Man. Yeah, no, that that felt so real, guys. Holy shit, Mac Jante, wow. Appreciate it. Yeah, continue. Sorry, I didn't mean to break your. Oh uh, no, um, no, you you can't know that unless you be able to be everybody at once. I mean, because there's so many different mindsets and there's so many different perspectives. Like, like, and 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 in a way, in a sense, like it's it's overwhelming if you think about it. Like, but if we could all be into one giant brain and we can all be one, like maybe we can reach the truth. Well, know? that's what um that's what in Hinduism is called the Godhead. Right, God, God, Brahman is um, is everything, is all things at once, and now it makes sense when they say he is the sole possessor of truth, because if you're everything, you that's it, that is true, that is true, that, yeah. that's it, you you are truth, like like because the, the only truth is is existence, right? Is that it? It exists. It exists, and that, that's, that's all it. we can do. That's, yeah, that's, that's it. all it is. And then we can talk about it, and like this is philosophical conjecture. I'm sure you can describe events accurately, um, but like. It, absolute truth is every is being everything at once i mean that's the thing english doesn't have a word for that like you said hindu they have a word for that what was the word i'm sorry uh, so it's um it's the godhead is brahatma see yeah you have that like like we like english there's god like but he's like it's some dude it's some guy yeah. you know who says shit you yeah. know um but you know like they have a, a word for it and that's so fucking beautiful like, it is beautiful it's like if like if like uh maybe maybe 
maybe our language is not precise enough yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Well, this goes back to that cultural, uh, like, I don't, guys, I don't believe in cultural appropriation. So, um, <laughs> let me just get that out there. But, like, this, this goes back to this whole cultural appropriation bullshit. Is that I think our language will become complete when we start inducting all these other languages in there. And this is why I think English will beat Chinese. Because more people speak Chinese than English. Oh, absolutely. But English is more malleable. Oh, yeah. Um, there's... Uh... English and uh, I speak Creole as well, and Creole is also very malleable. The mm-hmm. rule is in Creole is, and I'm not making this up. If the word doesn't exist in Creole, and it exists in another an, another language, you can bastardize that word and make it fit into the Creole lexicon. Mm-hmm. With the only rule is you have to write it phonetically in Creole. Mm-hmm. So with a with a word like the, well. We, there, we already have a word for it. So any word with a TH sound, that, that thorn, I think that's why it's called thorn, with that, uh, we have to substitute it with a D or a T, whatever it is. Um, but any word that doesn't exist, you can fucking change it. Like, you can, you can just bring it into it. And it makes the language, like, it grows exponentially. Like, yeah. I, I was talking to my cousin, and uh, we already have a word for schedule. But he didn't want to use the word for schedule because it was too complicated it had three syllables no two syllables but he went he, he bastardized schedule yeah he bastardized schedule put it into the fuck into the fucking uh uh phrase he was talking about and the meaning still got across very clear it's just like certain languages like that english is like that too because like um uh uh what's the, what's that word in english that's that's a uh, um like Chicago is not even an English word. No, you know, like uh, Washtenaw, you know, mm-hmm. Saginaw. Like those are like you just bring it in, like avocado. You know. You know what language doesn't do that? French. Oh, French. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, they uh, they they are very against and and uh, they will come up with a their own word for like computer intel- because like that's the same with um, Bahasa. My mom speaks Bahasa, uh, Malayu, uh, which uh, Indonesian and um, Malaysian dialect, right? And um, yeah, so they'll be like pharmacy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just say it phonetically in that sense. Uh I remember what I wanted to talk about earlier that I completely blanked on was the word should. Um and the word should places a ton of I think is the really the root of a lot of people's sadness. What should I be doing? Should I do this? Should I, and it's like really when you grasp this, you shouldn't be doing anything. Like except for you could do things but you there's no way you should act um especially don't think that in the moment there are now i know like this is inefficient for like life and getting better but in the moment don't think what i should be doing think what do i want to do that's 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 beautiful you know um in creole that word should is replaced with capable Mm. and then you wouldn't you wouldn't say am i capable of doing this you said you would say Am I capable of this? But you would put a question mark about it. Or you would say, I'm capable of this. And you put a question mark and it would turn it into a question. Mm. I'm capable of this. And there's no should. And then there's the word capable. And and it's kind of crazy because you're thinking should. And you're thinking to Manfred like, oh, you're not, you're, not, you're not 100% on that. And then in Creole, it's just like, I'm capable of this, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it puts like, like. I can do this, uh, but you're like it, it. It puts emphasis on you being able to do it, but but you're not doing it. Rather than you're not capable of doing it, but you want to try it out anyway. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? It's like it's beautiful. Uh, you know, there, like there's no expectation. 
Yeah, it's it's it, like language. The way I I use language in my life, the way I use language in my life is, is crazy because uh, a lot of the time I'm thinking in Creole, English, uh, French very rarely, but I, sometimes it does that. When I'm doing math, it's basically French. Mm. Uh, but when I'm when I'm really thinking about something deep, it is in English. But when I'm feeling something, I gotta go back to the Creole. I have to go back to it because it's a very it's a very precise language in a, in a sense. Like, it's very precise in what you're feeling. And I can, and, and, and it just, like, especially when I'm at a point where I'm like, I feel like I'm having doubt, and then Creole comes in. And I'm like, mm. and then it's done. Like, I'm, I can either do it or I realize I can't do it because of certain circumstances. That's beautiful. I do want to leave off on this note because I think it's very powerful that you employ other languages within yourself. And I, I think that there's a very powerful sentiment there. Yeah, you. I, I mean, we all do in a sense. Um, uh, we all do in a sense because I'm pretty sure your inner voice is not the same way you're talking to me right now. Like your inner voice is just one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Some of us have more than one, yeah. but but like uh, I think a lot of th- a lot of times we we have different different types of languages we use even if it's in the same lexicon base everything if you're using the same word as your native tongue but there's certain way you employ languages um i think they call that code switching that's what mm. i'm trying to say you code switch in your mind and i and i think we all do it to a certain point but like certain languages do it way better than other ones that's that's pretty that's why i was getting at well yeah like the um the they think that the reason why um, uh, Chinese people and Oriental people in general are so good at math is the way they do, um, the way numbers are done phonetically, in it, it's way more efficient than us. So they're able to entertain more complex thoughts quicker when it comes down to mathematics. Oh, I, you know what the funny thing is? Like, uh, I, um, I, was, uh, I was in school with this Mexican guy. Like, he was like, uh, I think he would, had just moved to the United States. Um, and when he got to the word 15, he went back to... 15 mm. like you know it was like and like, you know, you've heard that joke before but i've seen somebody do it in real life he was like 15 he was trying to read that word and he like, won five and then he just said 15 and and because it's it highlights how inefficient mm-hmm. sometimes numbers are not even efficient and uh for example in in um in french and creole as well there's no word for 80 you would say which means 420 <laughs> Yeah, not to be confused with the real 420, yeah. but you would say 420, 480, you know, and then for 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 81, you would say 421, like it's so out of the way. It's like you you know, uh, uh, and then you wouldn't say 70, you'd say 70, like it makes no sense. 70 means 60 and 10. Exactly. And then you'd say 60 and 11, you would you'd say 70. It's just like like uh, I'd see why why. We, we really like uh, well mathematics and, and languages mathematics is a language on its own mm-hmm. so and and you can't translate mathematics very well into like our spoken language like that we're using every day not not very and it takes a genius to be able to do that like Albert Einstein who would, could say E equals MC square and we're just like oh shit that's so precise like mm-hmm. you have to be almost a genius to be able to put Enter- that into words well you're a genius to entertain it in that kind of complexity right because and then and then shrink it down because you got to be able to look at the whole image to and then, then condense it um yeah math as a language is also beautiful because i it, it affects our lives in so many ways like and it shapes it shapes it's one of the languages that this this is also it's like one of the 
it's like one of the languages that if you're taught inefficiently, it, it's exactly like this. And I like that you framed it as language because a lot of people think they are bad at math intrinsically. And it's like, no, you had bad math teachers. Just like, because like a lot of times with language, if you have a bad Spanish teacher or something like that, that can ruin your entire Spanish. You might yeah. be, be a great Spanish teacher. They just approach teaching you in the wrong way. And it didn't allow it to compound, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I also think that you, it's important that people know that math is a language and that you can lie with mathematics yeah. in statistics. Oh, fair. oh wow. Yeah, um, yeah um, I took a, my hardest class ever in college was uh, uh, applied... Uh, something research, qu qu uh, quantitative research methods. Oh my god, I I found out a lot of the different ways I could lie on my fucking statistics, and um, uh, it it just mind boggles. You know, uh, it, that's the same. That's a lot of problem with with lying with the language of mathematics is a lot of problems in third world. Believe it or not, because think about it this way: uh, like a lot of third world places have like three, four, five different, seven, eight different parties running, and a lot of people don't understand that just because a a person won with 30% of the vote doesn't mean they're the winner because 70% of people didn't vote for them. Mm. And that's why a lot of fights happen. They're like, I didn't vote for him. 70% of us didn't vote for him. So that's why that's the language that people don't get because it's a third world country. People are kind of, you know, people tend to be less educated. That's a problem Haiti has, you know. And you realize that somebody wins with 30% of the votes. 70% people didn't vote for him. That's why when people say, oh, that place is having a, a, a conflict and the guy won the election fair and square. Now, he may have won the election, but the people didn't vote for him. You mm. see, it's, it's... So they, they don't understand that you don't need a majority in order to win an election. You just need to win the largest plurality. Yeah. They, and even, even me, I was having a hard time getting in, so I realized oh, my faulty heuristic is that I'm thinking that there's only two candidates, right? Yeah. And um, I also think... Um, with math and lying, like we see it today in econometrics um, and um, banking is that an, a modern theme in econometrics is that we can basically model everything um, and that people put a faulty, there's a faulty heuristic that we have that we place an overvalue on math. Like we assume math is infallible. And that leads to a lot of people making faulty decisions because the math lines up. But I think whenever you have econometrics and you're, you're planning out trends of how far in the future something is going to be, whether or not the, the, the United States, emotional health, all this other stuff, the predictability actually becomes worse because there's variables you can't plan for. Well, yeah, that's the thing. There's a, there's a thing about variables. I'm pretty sure the, the mathematics models they had pre-2001 before the... Before the uh, collapse, um, before the 9/11, um, mm. were probably completely different from from what we have now. That's something we did not even conceive, you know. Um, Nassim Taleb, he write, he's written two books on this. Uh, he's written a lot of books on this: "Fooled by Randomness," um, "Black Swan," and "Anti-Fragile." But in, um, he basically says that in "Black Swan," that the moments that change history, the moments that cannot be um, that really have weight and matter, can't be predicted. Yet they change everything. And they, he calls them black swan events. Is that you say that all swans are white until you see a black swan. And Donald Trump is a black swan event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but you know the thing about Donald Trump? Um, the thing about Donald Trump is um, the way he ran his campaign was very third world-like. Mm. Very, I don't want to say ignorant, but very non uh, 
political. Very, very like using crude language. Um, uh, there was a president in Haiti before this president who won on that same model that uh, uh, Donald Trump won. It was crazy because when that Donald Trump happened, I didn't realize it was happening until afterwards. I was like, holy shit. And I looked back in 2011, that election they had in Haiti, and I was like, oh, because you, you had a popular figure who was in the entertainment industry, who is not a politician, coming in, saying the right things, and not afraid to say what the fuck he wanted to, you know, whatever the fuck he wanted to say, and winning, um, except he won the majority of the, of the votes in Haiti, because it was a runoff, which means there was only two people. So he legitimate won with 67%, which is the majority. But he won like that. But it's crazy because I'm like, I look back, I'm like, this is very, very, very third world. And, and that's what people didn't get about it. Like, you know, like it came unpredictable to the two Americans. Mm -hmm. But I know that could happen in Haiti. I never thought it could happen in the United States. You see, that's the crazy part. Well, that that is such a profound um, statement. And it, it probably says a lot about our public education. Um, I mean, like, worse people who are... So Donald Trump, how he operates is he does things... He's a very, what I call, very strong level two player. A level two player is somebody who has very high appeal to level one players, usually people who aren't that educated, and so they can't see through the faulty logic, right? And so what he says... Dude, what Donald Trump says, whether you like it or not, feels true. Whether or not it is true, it feels true. Oh, he's and, an amazing salesman. Oh. And, and, that, and that is what... People, people who aren't really um, educated a lot of times will make decisions off of what feels right rather than what is right. Because what is right isn't what feels right most of the time. And when you, but like, see, this is why I see he's a level two player. Level three players look at him and like, what are you trying, come on, man. Like, you, you, this is all wrong, right? Because we can engage it on that level. But he doesn't care. He, there's more people in level one than there are at level three. Well, but the thing is, maybe is he's a level three player who realizes he's just if he plays level two. Well, so the thing is, this is how I know he's not a level three player is because he if he was, he would be able to turn it on in situations like the debate, in situations when he's addressing the public. He'd be able to basically a level three player is Hillary Clinton. All right, level Hillary Clinton speaks with great precision. Say what you want about her, she told the fewest amount of lies in her campaign, less than Bernie and everything like that. And if you asked her about him on a real thing, she'll be able to explain it in detail what she's actually thinking. Donald Trump can't do that. Okay. Donald Trump can't make his ideas palatable to a third level person. Okay. And that makes it different. And this has to do with conveyance. But like in Hillary's kind of obsession with being seen as trying to change the image of being seen as faulty or speaking in falsehood, she wasn't able to speak with the same visceral intensity that Donald Trump is. Because when, when you are saying what you feel, you usually, I can't, when I'm very passionate about something, I am not speaking precisely. Yeah. I, I, I'm like, bah, bleh, 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 bleh. yeah, this is good. Just... Yeah, and, yeah, and, and, and you can say it and not question it, right? Because even if you are constantly explaining yourself, what you're subconsciously telling people is, is what I'm saying shouldn't be trusted. It, 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 it's weird how it does it, but that's what you, it, the implicit thought. If you just say, I'm not doing this, that sounds a lot stronger and a lot more confident. I'm not doing this because this and this and this. Now, that other person might respect you for your reasons, but I'm not doing this is a lot more confident of a position. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, that's the thing. That's one thing I learned. Like, when you tell somebody I'm not doing this, right, you have to, you have to be able to back it up. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to explain it right up, right up front. No. Because if you're explaining it right up front, 
I'm like, mm, you're trying to pull something on me. I'm not doing this. Okay, why? Now mm. you come in, you come e- at it. Exactly. Like, that's one thing I, I learned in, uh, in sales, believe it or not. It's like, uh, can I buy that? No, you can't. And I keep it moving. Someone says, why not? Ah, well, you know what? 1900 bucks. This is going to be 400 uh, I, can't, I can't take that much. And then it's like, okay, cool. Like, uh, but you, if you say everything from the beginning, it's not going to resonate. No, it doesn't. Re- and the people want to earn information. Yeah. One of the things I was like wondering, like, why do girls not care whenever I tell them I was born in London, raised in Hong Kong, all this? Actually, a lot of times when I tell girls I'm born in London, it just leads to more questions. Like, where's your accent? Like, you know? And um, and that's a hard part of my <laughs> We could have a whole discussion on accents and heuristics from accents, but... Um, and but like whenever I I'm from Texas, <laughs> that's yeah. a, that is way, way easier. And it, it, because if I give too much information up front, it does they don't value it. Yeah, I mean the thing the thing about that is I realize uh, women language like you said they like to earn it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like you have to leave earn information. Yeah, yeah, you have to you have to leave you have to um, you have to leave certain things for them to want to fill out. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be able to, as it were, like you were talking to me, like yeah. I'm not doing it, and then they're gonna say, "Why not?" Mm-hmm. And then that's when you can lead. That's when you can lead, and you would say something like, "Yeah, I'm foreign," and then blah blah blah, and then mm-hmm. they come back, "Oh, you're foreign? Where? Like London?" Yeah. And then that I, that I think that's what happens to me. Like they, w- um, they want they want to interact with you, and I think people do, but a lot more so women who you're trying to get romantically interested want to interact with you like a book. Yeah. You know, they, they don't want it all on the front page. They want to earn it. It's a, it's a story to them. And I think life is a story. I think we're all, a lot of times in a rush to connect, right? Rather than just trust that it'll happen. Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a big thing. Like, trust that it'll happen. Like, um, um, because I don't believe in love at first sight. I really don't. I don't think it can happen. At least maybe not to me, you know, like at least. But, but I do I think that if I hang out with somebody and just get along. I mean, I'm not saying there shouldn't, there should be like that initial attraction, but you know, but I don't think that's love. That's just the initial attraction. And a lot of the time it's just been like, I was wasting my time or sometimes it just happened. And, and, and I think, you know, once they start unraveling you as a person and then they're like, oh wow. And you start unraveling them. Oh wow. That, and then I think that's when it happens. I don't oh. think it happens like right up front. A lot of books lie to people about that shit. Well, I, so here's the thing is, is like, um, I think love, so I, I have a joke about, like, it's easier to fall in love when you have no identity, and it's, that's why when you're younger, it's easier to fall in love like that. Like, you know, oh, I see her, she's hot, yeah. she smiled at me, in love, right? But when you have an identity, you're more reserved on doing that, and you're not just a personality. You've always had a personality, but an identity is, like, kind of like the self-narrative of who and what you are, and you become more discriminating in love. Uh, there's a thing that I've talked about on the podcast before, it's by Mark Manson. Uh, he says that there's a thing called the isolation paradox, and it's the more you grow physically, mentally, and spiritually, the fewer people you can actually have a fulfilling relationship with. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. I, 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 that's something I, um, like uh, the women I've, I was talking to 10 years ago is completely different that, the, to the women that, I was, that I'm talking to now. Yeah. You know, it, it like, um, um, and my and my the way I'm thinking about it is uh, like I like women who, who I feel like if shit were to go bad, you know, like um, they will understand what's going on. Like I've dated girls who had no idea what was going on, you know. To them, it was just this, you know. And then I'm like, there's a whole bunch of other things, you know. It's not like, uh, not to go into detail. It's not like just about the club. It's not just about showing off. It's not. It's not about that. It's about the boring shit, mm. you know. And and now it's like the one I'm talking to now it's like sometimes I can come back and and I could say I can express an idea 
Um, and it's just like I was talking to this girl, like uh, my girlfriend, actually. I was talking to my girlfriend um, before we started dating. And I was just like, yeah, um, I don't I don't. I don't see eye to eye with most of the uh, with the most of the black leadership in the United States, and she didn't just viscerally say why not, how come not. She was like, really, on what grounds? And I was mm. like, oh shit, she's really listening. And I said, um, uh, a while back they had this thing about pulling your pants, pulling up your image. And I said, that's the wrong language you're saying. It's like saying people not like hating black people because their pants sag. They're hating black people because they're black. So whether you're sagging your pants or not, it doesn't matter. And she fully understood that idea. Mm. And I've talked to women back in that day that, that were like, yeah, you got to pull up your pants. You got to make sure you look presentable. And I'm thinking, no, you, you're not getting the idea. It's like they hate you because you're black or there's discrimination because you're black, not because you dress a certain way. So I, I, I'll disagree on that point, but I agree on the, like, the, the sentiment. Like um, with, the, with the thing about pulling up your pants and everything like that, to me, the reason why people have a lot of issues with black people, one, there's a contingency of people who just dislike black people for perceptual reasons, historical reasons, because social narrative. Then there's another layer of people who are racist and don't like black people because of the black culture in America, which is a nebulous thing in and of itself and probably doesn't actually exist. But I would say what, when people, what people think of when they think of black culture um, is the antithesis of white culture. Like uh, Patrice O'Neill says this, it's like anything, being black became doing everything that's not white. And that is what rubs people the wrong way because human beings love conformance. They love you to, that's why we talked about shame being such a big thing. It's like, and when you don't conform, people don't feel they can trust you because okay. you're, they're viscerally aware that you're not of the same culture. Um, in a book called Moral Tribes, uh, the guy, uh, he's a professor at Princeton, I don't remember his name. He says that um, we actually distinguish each other based on clothing before race. Because number one, your brain, like from a brain standpoint, like your eyes and everything like that, it, because it comes from a, if someone was dressed in the same, different clothes than you, that's way more likely to be an indication that they're not of the same tribe as you than different race because you didn't see different races. Absolutely. I mean, I, I see where you're going with yeah. that, but, but I was saying that was a minor problem. That, that, yeah. that was like, that's, yeah. like, that's like... No, not even a big one. And I, I didn't mean a red herring what you were... The bigger point you're making is that there's... And I, I've experienced this too. It's whenever you're talking with someone and on a date and you're sh they understand you. They're not saying they understand you. You feel understood. Yeah. Oh. And that to me, you don't have to agree with me to, uh, to feel that I'm understood. And there's a movie called Waking Life, and it's a very profound sequence where um, this woman is talking. And she's like, you know what's crazy about language isn't so much that we came up with a word for water or fire or there's a saber-toothed tiger behind you. But that we have words for like, I love or I hate. She's like, but do you even really know what I mean? She says, when I say the word love, it goes out of my mouth, goes through some Byzantine conduit in your brain of love or lack of love, and you say, oh, I understand what you mean. And I don't think we'll ever know if we truly understand each other, but when we do feel understood, there's a spiritual communion that happens, and it almost feels like the reason why we're alive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when, when that happened, like, it's like a, I, I got a rush. Yeah. I got a rush because I was like, oh, wow, like... My eyes lit up, like, and then, like, you, you know how you get excited and your, your pupils just get really focused. And I was just like, and, and then, like, I was like, oh, wow, you get, you get this. Mm. You're seeing my point of view. And we talked about it for, like, 
I think we talked about it. We came back to that same conversation for like three days in a row. Like mm. we kept talking about it, about different aspects of everything. And it was like, all right. And then, um, but yeah, but you're saying what you're saying. I'm not saying it's not true that, you know, we don't recognize people with, uh, with clothing, but you can think about clothing and say, you can realize that maybe I'm judging this guy by the way he dressed. Cause a lot of time you see somebody by the way they're dressed and you're like, and you talk to them, you realize somebody completely different. But the thing is, so my dad, so I told my dad, I hate stereotyping. Right. Yeah. And he was like, son, I want you to look out at that tree out there. Right. He, and I was like, okay. And he's like, are there leaves on that tree? I'm like, yeah. He's like, how do you know those are leaves? I'm like, cause they're there. How do you know each one of those things is a leaf? I don't know. Cause they're there and I know what leaves look like. And he's like, son, you don't know all of those are leaves unless you've counted and looked at every one of those leaves. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm not going to do that. He's like, yeah, that's your brain stereotyping. Mm-hmm. The thing is, we stereotype to survive. Yeah. Stereotyping is actually powerful. And I'm going to tell you, I stereotype, but I stereotype on clothing. If it's some black dude's wearing a suit, I'm not going to assume that he's going to rob me. And I think very rarely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, rarely people make that assumption. Well, well, well the thing is, it's context. Now, mm-hmm. if he's a black dude wearing a suit in a bank and he's talking to you, maybe he's not robbing you. He's <laughs> robbing everybody else. Ah! <laughs> and if he's Nigerian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I had a friend um, at the London School of Economics and he, uh, he said, um, dude, I'm Nigerian and I'm graduating from the London School of Economics and I'm going to work at J.P. Morgan. If I'm not engineering a financial collapse, I'm a disgrace. Oh, like, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. I mean, I said that about my company, um, which I'm not going to tell you where I work, but uh, I, I've said it before like this. Uh, our interest rates are so fucking high. If we were in the housing business, we would solely be responsible for the, <laughs> for the 2008 collapse. And then somebody, and then somebody's like, "Really?" I was like, "Yeah, but you gotta realize with cars, um, you know, the value drops as the as you, you so so. There's never going to be a collapse of the automobile industry, at least on the on the used car part. And the new car part, maybe, but new new car part of the business. And but then the used car, like we're saying, so high. If it was housing, we'd be solely responsible for 2008. I swear. That's crazy, man. It's because we're moving like millions of units. The, the thing is is this is like this conversation has been fucking amazing and we could go on for longer we but, could um i have to call it this is the longest episode of the podcast oh. and, I, and i i think i'm i'm there were, i'm gonna start time stamping episodes because of this episode because i think this there's so much value here um i mean we've talked about so much yeah i'm gonna have to have you on my podcast dude have me on drop drop your uh plug your stuff plug what you're gonna call your podcast plug your twitter and all that uh, pl- uh my twitter is max jante m-a-x-j-e-a-n-t-y um my uh instagram is real maxence r-e-a-l-m-a-x-e-n-c-e um and my podcast is gonna be called the max jante podcast Mm. stay tuned for it maybe i'll change the name who knows but that's what we're going with right now dude max thank you this has been a spiritual community appreciate it i, I appreciate really, it. really had a i mean i learned a lot this episode i learned a lot too man i learned a lot about you man yeah. like i like it's just like wow like it was a very intense conversation it was every time we we're going back and forth and it was just like a great exchange of ideas and i was like well i never new ideas like, yeah it and was just like and we it was like building a tower and i think like if you look at conversations like words like bricks 
Yeah. We were using them dope. Nigga, <laughs> we, we just built Rome <laughs> on this podcast. Oh, yeah. No, um, guys, and also, guys, uh, check out my uh, other social media. Check out my YouTube, The Lazy Philosopher. Uh, I post twice a week. I'm going to try to move more on that. Um, and it's, there's like 4,000 subscribers, so it's bigger than my podcast. So you guys could, should come watch. Um, also, follow me on Twitter because um, I need the followers, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday, I posted a tweet that was um, Drug of Choice by Era. Um, 1960s, LSD. 1980s, MDMA. 2010s, being a victim. Ah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if, you want, if you want more aphorisms <laughs> that make you feel, uh, just give me a follow at the Batiste and follow the description. And then check me out on Instagram. Anyway, guys, Godspeed and good night. <laughs>